Alhamdulillahi wa kafa Assalamun ala ibadihi ladhin astafa amma ba'd A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajeem Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Wa an laysa lana insani illa ma sa'a Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yusifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleena Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sinuna Muhammad Wa ala ala sinuna Muhammad Wa barik wa sallam Allahumma salli ala sinuna Muhammad that no human being will get anything unless they make effort for it. It's a golden rule. It applies to anything. It applies to akhirah, to deen, and to dunya. Our problem is, is that we live this eye when it comes to our dunya. We put a lot of effort into our studies, a lot of effort into our jobs, a lot of effort into our career, a lot of effort into our homes, a lot of effort into everything we do in the dunya. And we should do that as long as it's within halal. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Katamallahu al-ihsana fi kulli shay. That Allah Ta'ala has mandated us to strive for excellence and virtue and nobility in everything that we do. However, if we make a lot of effort for our dunya and we don't make a corresponding effort for our deen, that would be called imbalance. That would be imbalance. In a lot of us we have this problem, is that we're striving for dunya, working for dunya, and we're very passive when it comes to deen. We have a very high standard when it comes to our dunya. And we're happy with the low standard when it comes to deen. For example, we live in a very quality conscious world everybody wants high quality you want a high quality phone you want a high quality laptop you want to drive in a high quality car you want a high quality education you want to get a good quality marks you would like to work in a top rated company everything we do we want to have a high quality not just that we live in a world of upgrades that no matter even if we have something that is high quality we want it to keep getting better you may have the best phone within one or two years you want an upgrade. You may have a very perfectly great quality laptop within two or three years you want to upgrade. People may drive a very nice car within five, six years they want an upgrade. Constantly pushing the ceiling of the quality of their dunya. But when it comes to our salah, same quality salah, same quality Quran, same quality ilm, same quality sunnah. We don't think like that. You may think that I want to go to the best university I can. You don't think that I want to pray in the best salah that I can. And we have five opportunities a day to do that. But we don't try our best. How many of us say I want to get the best taqwa that I can? I need to follow the sunnah in the best way that I can. I need to be the best abd, servant and slave of Allah Ta'ala that I can. We don't think like that. We're not even trying. It's not like we're trying to be the best and we don't get it. This is the big tragedy. Actually, Allah Ta'ala has given us power. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala has asked us in Qur'an, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amunittakullah That, oh, you have iman, you must adopt taqwa. Hakka tukati. As it is Allah Ta'ala's right that we should adopt taqwa. And Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, La yukallafullahu nafsan illa wus'aha That Allah Ta'ala does not make any soul responsible beyond its ability means that every one of us by virtue of having iman 
we have the ability and potential to have a high level of taqwa. So we're underperforming. You see, in the dunya, if somebody does that, the world will say that's really bad. You're underperforming, you're underemployed, you're underutilizing, you're underutilized, you have untapped potential, you're not realizing your potential, inefficiencies, lack of productivity. There's so many words they have for this. And we have all of that in our deen. We don't pray the best salah we can pray, underperforming. We don't have the best haya we could have, underperforming. We don't have taqwa, it's untapped potential. The potential is there. We haven't tapped it, we haven't realized it, we haven't fulfilled it. But we don't think like that. We're very motivated for success in this world. Keep pushing ourselves for an exam, paper, degree, internship, searching, surfing, surfing, searching, all the time. Sometimes university students say, just sit and they daydream. They don't daydream what it would be like if I had taqwa and get genital for those. They daydream about their dream job, their dream career, their dream internship. Some university students even sit down and they go back in life. And they just, it can never happen. But they go back and they think that, oh, if only I had done this, then I could have gotten this course and I gotten this grade. Then they imagine their hypothetical life. That if I had done this and were I to have done that, maybe I would have ended up here and today I would be doing that. They actually have time to do that. <laughs> so eager. It's called hasra. They have, uh, you know, the vaults, uh, Allah SWT said that you should not be mayus over what you lose in the dunya. You should not be sad over what you miss. But we are constantly thinking about how many opportunities we missed opportunities. I missed this, I missed that, I could have been this, I could have been that. And every time we pray Salah, that was a missed opportunity. I could have felt the qurb of Allah Ta'ala in I could have been near to Allah Ta'ala in sajda. I could have felt some feelings for Allah Ta'ala. Inna salata tanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar. My Salah could have been such that it stopped me from every immodest sin. I could have prayed a salah like that today. I just missed a great opportunity. We missed a hundred salah. Allah SWT said, Sayyidina Rasulullah says that Allah Ta'ala sends a caller out in the last third of the night. Hal min sa'il. Is there anyone asking anything of me that I can give it to them? Hal min mustaghfir. Anybody wanting maghfir for me that I may forgive them? It's like tremendous opportunity. Hmm? And that's an opportunity of yaqeen. Today there may be some type of career fair. There's no yakin anybody there will hire you. But you make sure to show up. You show up early. You show up wearing your best clothes. You show up with great hope. And that's just shak. <laughs> that's imkan. There's just a chance maybe that you will actually get some good networking or connection or get hired or something. And here Allah Ta'ala is offering us a guaranteed yakin. But we sleep through dhajan. It's not even our list of things to do. Okay, maybe you can't pray every day when you have class the next day at 9 a.m. But what about Friday night? You have nothing to do Saturday morning. What about Saturday night? You have nothing you have nothing to go to Sunday morning. Right? There's nothing going on the next day. But you don't think like that. It's not on a list of things to do. If I take a university student's iPad or notebook or whatever and I look, what's his list? It's like nothing of the deen on there. So what do you want to do? Some of you may be foreign students, foreigners. So okay, you came to this country, you'll be here for three, four years. What do you have in mind? What do you want to get in the next three, four years? You may make a long list. Long, 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 long list. And Allah Ta'ala is not even on the list. It won't even be that, okay, now I'm here and I'm living 24 hours. One of my goals is I want to learn how to pray with feeling. I want to put my heart in my salah. I want to learn how to make dua. 
I can't make du'a for more than 2-3 minutes. I want to learn how to make du'a for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Like the ulama shuk, they call Allah Ta'ala longingly, lovingly. Allah Ta'ala says, Yad'una, that they call their Rabb khawfan wa tam'a, that they call their Rabb in fearfully, in longing and yearning for His hope, and hopefully in their mercy. I want to learn these things. I want to be like that. I want to, I've come here to get the degree, and I also want to get a BA in taqwa and BA in sunnah. Hmm? I want to get distinction in sunnah. Hmm? People don't think like that. <laughs> Everything we're doing is for the dunya. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying don't work for the dunya. Right? You should do it. But the question is, what do we do with our free time? And university students have maybe some of the most free time than anyone. Yes? <laughs> because your life is unstructured. You have a few classes a day. Maybe there may even be some days you don't have a class. Maybe some of you may have scheduled your classes. They're all on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I have Tuesday, Thursday free. Sometimes that even happens, right? So many breaks. When you work in the corporate world, they'll give you two, four, six weeks off, depending what type of organization it is. Here, mashallah, you have one term break, then a second term break, then an extremely long, like three, four months annual break. <laughs> it's never going to be like that again. I don't think you people realize. You're just going to get busier and busier and busier as life goes on. You will never have it so easy as you do in the university. But university students get tricked by shaitan. They think that no, it's so difficult now because I have to get my degree. I'll follow deen more later because later I'll be more free. You're never going to be more free. You'll never be even equally free as you are as a university student. Trust me. I spent how many years of my life from 1992 to 2000? What is it now? 14. 22 years I've either been studying or teaching in universities. We know university life like the back of our hand. You will never be this free. <laughs> Never. So what does Allah say in Quran? فَإِذَا فَرَقْتَ When you become free, فَنْسَ Become steadfast, be firm in your resolve. Why? It means don't be lazy. <laughs> don't fall into ghafla. Allah says in Quran, وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ That don't you dare let yourself even resemble the people who forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't you forget Allah ta'ala for one second. And this is what we do in our free time. We go straight. Straight to the internet, straight to the phone, immediately. If you want to know what you love, you have to see what do you do when you're free. This is the nature of love. What you really love, what you're attached to, what's your passion, what's your drive. Hmm? The early mu'mineen, when they were free, they come to musalla. If you want, now we can, people couldn't have understood before, me and you can understand. How much time did they spend on the musalla? As much time as me and you look at the screen. But that's simple. <laughs> now you know what oli are. <laughs> you could all be oliya. Just all the time we spend surfing, screening, cell phone screen, iPad, laptop, just put all of that in tilawat and nafil and dua and zikr and istighfar and salawat, you become wali of Allah Ta'ala. <laughs> yes? Today the university student logs on, they say, okay, I'm going to check my email. That takes 10 minutes. But then they just, that's it, they're hooked. They're just surfing random things. You should look at your browser history every time you exit. See how long you were on. You'll be amazed. You won't even realize, oh, I was on for 52 minutes. You'll be stunned. And you say, I only did five minutes worth of work. Just surfing, it's like a technology of ghafla. It sucked you in. Then there was a time, okay, at least if you had two, three minutes free, maybe that you could use, sit, just sit and remember Allah Ta'ala. Right? No. Shaitan made SMS and Twitter micro ghaflat. <laughs> how, Twitter is how ghafil can you be in 160 characters or less? That's called Twitter. <laughs> Can you squeeze your ghaflat into five seconds? And son said, yes, of course we can. (laughs) 
We want to fill every 10 seconds of our life with ghaflat. And Allah Ta'ala describes believers in Quran, وَهُمَنَ اللَّغْوِ مُعْرِذُونَ Yes, They turn away from these futile, pointless things which have no benefit, no purpose. That's called insani mu'min. He can't do something. Mu'ridun the eras, they just spurn it. They turn away from it altogether. They turn their face away from it. They can't do anything if it doesn't have any benefit, any purpose. And it's not muttaqeen or mu'miniyun are like this. Believers. We are like <laughs> turning towards love. And all the marketing and the glamour, glitz, science, technology, fashion, media, culture, society, all of it is pulling us towards love. Creatures of love. Right? Whereas the university student has a double responsibility. The Muslim university student. Because out of 1.2 billion Muslims in the world, I don't know the exact statistic, but my rough estimate is not more than 25% will ever get a university degree. You don't know the masses, the way they live in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Yemen, Indonesia. They're not massive, vast, vast, overwhelming majority of Muslims will never get a university degree. Right? So that you're in a special role in the Ummah. The Ummah has a right over you. This is a, a public duty. People here talk like that. They talk about civic duty, public duty, right? Being a good citizen. If only we had the same concept for our Ummah. Hmm? If we viewed ourselves as a member of the Ummah like that, that we have a duty to the Ummah, I'm getting some knowledge, so I'm not just here, I'm not the only person here, I'm representing my whole Ummah. I have to get this knowledge, fine. I, no problem, get it for risky halal tayyib that you need to earn your living. But you know, with a university degree, you earn beyond subsistence living. University degree holders earn a level of income that is beyond their bare minimum need. It's, all, it's some level of extra. It may be a lot extra, it may be a little extra. So what's the purpose of extra? Allah Ta'ala gives us the extras so that we serve the ummah. The purpose of extra is khidmah. Simple one-liner. The purpose of the extras in the dunya is khidmat of the ummah. And we don't realize that. We just want more extras and more extras and more extras. Then we go for the next car, the next laptop, and even watches. It's just the level of consumerism in the Muslims is amazing. No, we were the people who used the extras for khidmah. We don't have the consumer culture. We don't have the consumption culture. We're not after extras. Yes, we want comfort. That's fine. Not saying just necessity. Reasonable level of comfort. Beyond that, khidmah. You are the people of khidmat. The ummah has, alhamdulillah, plenty of ulama, plenty of hufaz. What does the ummah need? The ummah needs muttaqi university graduates. I'll give you an example. In Pakistan, where we taught university for six years, now we first started teaching in 2005. So now it's 2014, so that's 10 academic years. I can tell you in 10 years, the state of the universities there has gotten much better. Ten years, so many more universities have opened up. So many more PhDs have co- holders have come back. The quality of instruction has gone up. Everything. Oh, whatever you want to say. Whatever the world would say. Research, departments, labs, facilities, etc., etc. But the society has not, has not, not affected the society at all. In fact, probably maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people graduate every year from the universities there. Maybe even 100,000. But they're not making an impact on society. Why? Because they just want their own money. <laughs> so they're graduating, they're getting jobs, they're making money. That's it. And they're just increasing the number of elites we have in the country. Because they don't have that spirit of khidmah. 
It's not giving back to society. So society is not benefiting. The society is not benefiting from having so many university graduates. It's such a shame. Alhamdulillah, the ulama in our country, they're doing the work. There's no masjid which doesn't have an imam, have a halakha, dars, whatever the needs are of deen, it's being fulfilled. But the needs of dunya aren't being fulfilled. It's just private. They're just privately serving their own private interests. So if some of you come from countries in the Muslim world, I assume a couple of you must have come from some countries in the Muslim world, even if you're from this country, right? The percentage might be more. I don't know, maybe half of Muslims in the UK go to university. But our point is that the deen teaches us that knowledge is an amanat, even if it's knowledge of the dunya. Obviously, if it's ilm of deen, that's a real amanat, but even if it's knowledge of the dunya. So you have to be thinking now, now the reason I feel that why people aren't able to do khidmah is because this is about what we call deen kubuliyya. A person has to be accepted by Allah Ta'ala. إِنَّمَا يَتَكَمْبُلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ And Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an that He grants us kubuliyya. He graces His favor and acceptance upon who? Upon people of taqwa. On the muttaqin. And we stop being muttaqin. You know, there are 1.2, some people say 1.5 billion mu'mineen in the world. But how many of them are muttaqin? <laughs> right? If there are 1.5 billion muttaqin in the world right now, the world would be a radically different place. <laughs> 1.5 billion mu'mineen, that's not making much of a difference. It's not making too much of a difference to the world. Hmm? So if you can come here and become muttaqi engineer, muttaqi computer scientist, muttaqi doctor, muttaqi historian, whatever it is that you're studying, that would be a wonderful thing. That would be a revival of deen. That's what we call nurun al-nur, that they have talim and they have tarbiyah, they have talim, they have tazkiyah, they have knowledge and they have deen. So you have to be working. In your free time, you're working on deen. There's no free time for you, Right? You have a double responsibility. Like the people who are critically trying to help their own family, they work two jobs. So you have to think, I have to critically help the Ummah to do two things. I have to get this knowledge and I have to get my taqwa. <laughs> I'm busy. Like the people, you, if you've, some of you must have met somebody who works two jobs. Instead of working 40 hours a week, they work 80 hours a week. They have two jobs. They work two shifts. There are many people like that in the world. They work two shifts. They don't do it. They do it because they have to. Right? Because they need the money. You have to think, you have to work two shifts. One shift is for your knowledge. Whatever your degree program is, you have to excel in that. Deen of Islam wants you to excel in that. To whatever your potential is, right? Whatever your ability is, you have to use it. You have to maximize it. And you have a second shift. Whatever your ability is in taqwa, you have to maximize it. Now the difference here is that not every one of us has maximum ability in dunya. Not everybody at this university is going to win a Nobel Prize. It's just not possible. Allah has not given every human being the highest level of skill in their field. However, every single Muslim has the potential to be one of the muttaqeen. Everyone. Every Muslim has the potential to go to, go to jannah. Potential. Possible to go to jannah for those. Any word you pick in Quran, awliya, siddiqeen, sadiqeen, salihin, muttaqeen, mukhlisin, all of it is ours. It's ours for the taking. But, insani illa masa'a. No one will get anything unless they make effort for it. It's not going to fall in our lap. Alladhina amanu, that fell in our lap. Allah Ta'ala gave us gift of iman without us asking for it, without us deserving it. That much fell in our lap. But becoming salihin, muttaqeen, mu'mineen, 
you have to reach for that. You have to make it happen. You have to strive for it. You have to work for it. And that's nothing new. It's exactly you. You're professional students. This is what you do. The same tips, techniques, strategies, ways, methods you excel in dunya, in your studies, the same way you have to do in deen. So let's see what you do in your studies. Okay, one thing you do is you sometimes you stay up all night because you have an exam. Sometimes you stay up late night for the sake of studying. It's the same way you will get close to Allah Ta'ala. Sometimes you have to stay up all night in this ibadah. Sometimes you stay up late night reciting Qur'an. Sometimes you'll have to spend time. You spend time for dunya. Same thing, you'll have to spend time for deen. Second thing, what did you Some of you traveled. This was a great thing in our tradition. It was called a rehla a rehla lil-ilm, a rehla lil-taskiyah. People would journey from different parts of the world to get the knowledge of deen, to get the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know how many Muslims I met who travel for the sake of dunya? They travel half the world from one country to the other for a degree. They can't even go from one neighborhood to another neighborhood for the sake of a talk or some gathering for deen. But when it comes for dunya, they can go all over. Hmm? No, the same tool technique you need for dunya, the same thing you have to use for deen. You'll have to be willing to make some journeying, some traveling, some sacrificing for the sake of deen. Third, for dunya, you... Try to put yourself in an environment, right? Where there are other people, other students, right? So if you're an engineering program, you don't try to just pick up an engineering textbook and read it at home. No, you're saying to put myself in an area where there are many, many other people who are trying to be engineers, right? I need to have fellow seekers on the path with me. The same thing is going to work on deen, right? That's why there's so much emphasis on jama'ah and deen. Pray in jama'ah. Right, even the barakah and having iftar and suhoor in jama'ah, that we should be together. Tubu ilallahi jami'ah ayuhal mu'minun, that make tawbah together in the jama'at. So much emphasis. Deen is not God alone. You won't be able to succeed on your own. Sahabi kram were a jama'ah. Tabi'in used to join this group of sahabi kram. They learn from each other. That's why Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Ad-deenun nasiha. Obviously, if deen is nasiha, it means deen lies in counsel, advice. So you have to have interactions with people. There must be some nasiha giver. There must be some nasiha taker. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, وَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ ذِكْرَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That you must have advice, reminders, because that's of nafa, it's a benefit to the believers. So that, that's exactly what we did for the dunya. <laughs> right? Okay, another thing you did, fourth thing as students, you realize that, no, look, I can't learn this on my own. I need professors. I need experts. I need to put myself in the company of those people who have spent a large portion of their life. They're more dedicated than me in this field. So if I sit with them, I will get the knowledge from them and I will get the dedication from them. Same thing I'll tell us in Quran. Ya ayyuhalladina amanatakullaha wa kunu ma'asadikeen. Kunu ma'asadikeen. That oh, every single believer. Alladina amanu. You must connect yourself. Kunu, your very being. Simply be with them. Who? The sadiqi. Those who are more dedicated to Allah Ta'ala. Who are more true to Allah Ta'ala. Alama Qurtubi Ramtai writes in tafsir that sadiqin are those whose zahir and batin is the same. That they're outwardly virtuous and they're inwardly virtuous. So Allah says you have to be with them. You have to sit with them. You have to learn from them. So the same thing in deen. You can get a little bit of deen by reading translation. You won't get full deen that way. Deen is God through the people of deen. 
That's why in Surah Fatiha Allah teaches us, اِهْدِنَا سِرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ Ya Allah, guide me to the straight path. It's a path of people. People who you bless them, Allah Ta'ala. Who are those people? Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, الَّذِينَ أَنْأَمُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ That who are the people who Allah Ta'ala send His blessings? مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالسِّدِّكِينَ وَالشُّفَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ They're prophets, they're true ones, siddiqeen, shuhada, martyrs, and salihin, virtuous, pious, upright believers. So if we get our dunya from the professors and lecturers of the world, you have to get your deen from the siddiqeen and salihin of the world. Nabeen are gone from this world. Sayyidina Rasulullah was Khatam and Nabeen, the last and final prophet. So in that case, we have to get it then from the books, right? Because Sayyidina is no longer with us personally. But he has left a living tradition. You see, what was Sayyidina Rasulullah's greatest legacy? And a lot of our brothers, they don't understand this. They think everything the Prophet left behind is in the Sahih of Bukhari. No. The real thing the Prophet left behind was Sahaba. His real legacy was he left the Sahaba Ikram. He created Sahaba. He created insan. He made them. You see, Allah Ta'ala says, Wa yuzakkihim. That you will do their tazkiyah. You will shape them. You will mold them. You will develop them. You will make them shine. That's what he did. He left behind Jamaatus Sahaba. That's his greatest legacy. Sometimes we tell people like this that imagine who would have been the very first Tabin? Who would have been the very first Tabin? And we don't know that person's name. It's on any of the works of history. But we can imagine it must be the first Tabin has to be that person who just missed Sayyidina Rasulullah So I will construct a story so you can understand the concept. So imagine somebody heard about the Prophet and he travels across the desert and comes to Medina Manawra. And he's so happy that he's finally come and he wants to take Iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah And when he arrives in Medina, he sees everybody's crying. <laughs> he doesn't understand. And he tries to ask some person about the Prophet That person looks at him and starts crying more. He asks another person, he starts crying more. And finally asks the third person. And the third person maybe is a bit more composed. So he says, oh, you just missed him. <laughs> he just passed away a few minutes ago. That would be a first Tabi. Somebody must have been the first Tabi. You just missed him. He just passed away a few minutes ago. <laughs> Allah Akbar. Can you imagine this poor fellow? <laughs> he traveled so long. Must have, who knows what? He must have heard about the Prophet. Something must have motivated him to make this journey to accept Iman. And he missed. And the sit, last, final prophet in every sense, finished. Can you imagine? Talk about missed opportunity. Huh? Talk about missed opportunity. Allah Akbar. He missed. So what will he do? You think he's going to go back? No, no, no. So he grab that person <laughs> and say, who are you? So I'm just making a story, but you can imagine. He says, I'm Abu Huraira. <laughs> My name is Abu Huraira. He says, okay, I didn't get to see him. Did you get to see him? Maybe he starts crying again. <laughs> Maybe this question makes him start crying again. Maybe he says, yes, I got to see him. So you learned the things he was teaching? Yes, I learned the things he was teaching. Right? He says, okay, I missed him. So now I have to learn from you. Now what do you think Sayyidina Abu Hurairah would do at this point? You think he's going to take out his notebook and say, here, take this book? Hmm? You think Deen is about books? You think you say, okay, take this. Mashallah, you're Arab, so you can understand Arabic. You don't need translation here. Whatever the, There's no such concept of Sayyid Bukhari back then because Imam Bukhari lived three centuries later. Right? Two and a half centuries later. But maybe he had written some hadith down. Okay. Some ulama say they didn't write it. He had memorized it. Right? He's the number one rawi of hadith. 
No Sahabi has narrated as many hadiths as Sayyidina Abu Hurairah. Not mentioned ever in history that he sat down and wrote them down and give them to any tabi like that. You just need a book. No way. <laughs> if the tabi says, he says, okay, you want to learn what I learned from him? The tabi says, yes, I, I missed him. I won't get it from you. He says, okay, then you have to live with me. <laughs> this is the beginning of Kuno Masadiki. It's not words that I'm going to give you some text. Okay, you sit five days, I'll dictate over five days and you go back. Foolish to think. It's a crazy, it's tahrif is sunnah. To think the sunnah is just words. Nabiya Kareem Sassam left a life. It's called Uswatun Hasana. He left a life. Even when Sayyidina Abu Hurairah himself heard hadith live from the Prophet So I'll give you an example. Very well known Sahih Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Kun dunya ka'annaka gharib Alright? Be in this world like you're a stranger or a traveler on the path. Now what do you think? Do you think Sayyidina Abu he heard that and he goes home and he writes it down and he comes to Sayyidina the next day he asks for some look. I wrote it down. I got it. It's text. If he were to have done that, what, what would Sayyidina Rasulullah have done? He would have said, come here Abu Hurairah, give me that piece of paper. Throw the piece of paper away. <laughs> he said, oh Abu Hurairah, these aren't words that I want you to memorize. I want you to bring me a life lived according to this feeling. I want you to live your life feeling like a stranger in this world. Live your life feeling like you're a traveler on the path. Bring me a life that is lived according to that feeling. Don't just bring me these words written on a piece of paper. And that's why the ulama say that the person who is sahib of sunnah, there's nothing to do, you can read. I have a jazan hadith. Let's say I give all of you a jaza right now. It does nothing for you. What is that? Sahib sunnah is the person who feels the sunnah, who lived the sunnah, whose life is according to the feelings of the meanings of the words of sunnah. Not just the person who has the library at home or who went through the words. Right? So deen is about feelings. Deen is about feelings. So you can only get feelings from people. There's no way the tabin got it from any book. They got it from sahaba. The tabai tabin, they got it from tabin. They didn't get it from any book. Even when Imam Bukhari wrote a sahih, there was no concept like that. Even the Arabs who knew Arabic, they didn't just say, okay, you just take this book and that's it. No. Even that they say you have to learn from muhaddith. Even just to get ijaz in the hadith, you have to learn from muhaddith. But to learn how to live and feel that hadith, you have to do kunu masadikin. There's no record in all the history of the first 1200 centuries of Islam that anybody had this concept that you just buy 10 books and read them and you will get feelings of Islam. No way. The authors of these books didn't advocate such a concept. So just like we do in our studies, you do the same thing. You say, I could buy 100 engineering books, I'm not going to become an engineer. I say, why not? You can read them. You'll say, no, but it's not just about books. So I say, why? You say, no, I need a teacher. I need a professor. I need a class. I need other, I need other engineers. I need to present my understanding of engineering to them. This called assessment. I need to present my understanding for correction. I say, no, you're an intelligent person, mashallah, you know English. You just read the book, you'll understand it. Nobody in the education field would accept such a statement. He says, no, no matter how intelligent you are, you may have fluent English. The book may be written by the Nobel Prize winner in physics, but you will not understand it 100% correctly. That's why you don't always get 100 in every exam. Now, a student, when they write their exam, as far as they're concerned, they think they wrote the correct answer. Sometimes the student will say, he walks out and says, how did you just I aced it? He comes back, it's a 70. Here in England, 
you have this sister, I don't know, like for you, seven is like something special, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny country in America, something like that, right? I got a 75 at Oxford. I got worried. They said, you're something. I said, I got 75. <laughs> America, 90s. At least you need a 90. They said it was a great honor that they gave me above 70 and everything. So every place has its own marking system. So maybe I should use that example of 100 because you people will think that no, no, yeah, 70, 75 is fine. Right? Yeah, no, no, no. no. So in Dean, 100. <laughs> Dean, you need 100%. Right? So here, to use your example, if you had a physics exam, so you may walk out thinking you got a 70, but when it comes back, you got a 62, right? Because you need the professor to tell you. So if you need assessment and examination and review for your improvement in physics or engineering or computer science or history or literature, is it only the Qur'an that you think is just the easiest thing in the world? Right? Why were there all these ulama who were mufassirun? They were Arabs writing in Arabic. <laughs> The classical tafsir written in Arabic means the only person who can read tafsir must already be able to read Quran because the Quran is in Arabic, the tafsir in Arabic, right? It's Arabic language alone is just a small part of knowledge. It's like I know English. Does my knowing English make me a physicist? Does the fact that I know English make me an engineer? Even though all the ulum, all the knowledges of physics and engineering are in English, but my knowing English doesn't make me a physicist, right? So we need scholars. This was the tradition of our deen. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, Hal Can they ever be equal? Those who have ilm and those who don't. So we took tafsir from Mufassirun, hadith from Muhaddithun, fiqh from Fuqaha, zikr from Zakirin. Whatever word is used in Quran, it means definitely there are experts. Here, Mufassirun, these words aren't in Quran. Ulama is a word in Quran. Awliya is a word in Quran. Zakarin is a word in Quran. These people will always exist till the end of time, necessarily, because the Quran is a living book. So just like you over here, you learn from experts, you will get more in your deen when you learn from the experts. Right? So the same methods that you use to excel in your studies, the very same methods can be used to excel in your deen. But our problem again is that we choose to be lazy. Just lazy. There's nothing else really. Most university, in fact, many of our students, even their university studies are suffering just because of laziness. That's it. Laziness and ghaflat and sin. Causing us to be behind in the dunya, causing us to be behind in our deen. And it, you have to fight this soon. The earlier you fight it, the better. If you let yourself be lazy for two more years, it's more difficult. You let yourself be lazy for four more years, it's more difficult. Because then the laziness becomes ingrained. It becomes an adat, becomes a sifat. It's difficult to separate yourself from it. It's very difficult. And however a person is in dunya, they'll be the same way in deen. It's not possible that you're lazy in dunya and you're extremely disciplined in deen. Because it's a person. You're either lazy as a person or disciplined as a person or somewhere in between. Whatever you are, that will affect your dunya and that will affect your deen. That's why Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Qatabullahu al-Ahsana fi kulli shay. And everything. Because we knew that if you slack here, then you become a slacker. <laughs> Once you become a slacker, then you start slacking in deen. So the deen wants you to excel in your studies. Generally, and also for the sake of your deen. Because it will make you a person who excels, makes you a person of discipline. So actually, you're very fortunate that way. That being a university student, you've put yourself in a system which 
pushes you in terms of examinations, assessment, pushes you to have discipline, pushes you to have hard work. So actually one of the things you get by being a university student is you will be trained in a certain set of skills, study skills, self-discipline, time management. And if you could learn those skills, use it for the dunya, but then use all those skills for your deen also. Use all those skills for your deen also. But most of the university students of today are on the other extreme. They're just procrastination machines. They're just, their skill is how can I still pass the exam but only studying at the last minute. This is their ultimate skill. That, that skill, some of you may even have it. I can even accept that. Some of you may even be that intelligent that you have that skill. But unfortunately, that skill won't help you in the deen. That skill won't help you in the deen. You know what that skill is like in the deen? That's like the person, let's say, sunrise is 5.50. So they pray, they wake up at 5.40. They make wudu in two minutes. They pray the fastest two rakahs, sunnah they can. They pray a fast two fajr and they say, salam, it's 5.49. That's what it would look like. Yes, that's the deeny correspondent to that person who slacks all year or slacks in the term and pulls a couple of all-nighters and manages to cram for the exam. It may work here. It's not going to work in deen. That is totally not the right attitude in deen. You will never succeed in deen like that. Never. So since you're here, why not go for everything? Get the skills, get the discipline, get the good work habits, use it for the university. When you use it there, you'll be better at that, which will give you more free time. You'll get more free time, then use those disciplines and skills here in your deen. Then you can say, I spent four years there. What did you do? In four years, I did my degree plus I memorized fugitives of Qur'an, I prayed tahajjud every now and then, I started feeling Allah Ta'ala more, I learned to make dua to Allah Ta'ala, I started feeling the feelings of tawakkul, feelings of sabr, feelings of shukr, feelings of sunnah, I did a whole lot of other things there in my four years. Don't think I just did engineering. That's what you should be able to say. It's a golden opportunity, I don't think you understand the free time and the freedom that you have as a university student. When you go out there, there's so many demands on your time. Inshallah, all of you will start families. You will have spouses. You will have children. There will be so many more demands on your time. You won't have that freedom. You won't have the flexibility. You miss it. And you don't want to have regret. So, Jeev Hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah said that on Jannah, there will be no sadness. Obviously, because Jannah is a place where people are extremely happy. But there will be one hasra. One tinge of remorse. What is that? That the Ahl Jannah will regret the time they spent in this world, Ghafil. The time they spent in this world, forgetful, heartless, mindless of Allah Ta'ala. Why? Because even saying Subhanallah once gives a person extra darajah Jannah. One Subhanallah. Yes, they'll even regret that they didn't say Subhanallah one more time. Hmm? Better that we get that regret now in this world. There's no benefit for us regretting it after we die. Better that we get in this room. This is why all of you know it, but we don't feel it. Everybody knows the surah I'm going to say to you. Everybody knows the words. Everybody knows the meaning. This is a perfect example. It's about feeling. All of us know the words. Hmm? All of us know the translation. When are we going to feel that we are in khus? Hmm? That we are in a complete state of loss. Illa amanu wa amilu salihat. Illa is complete, utter lost, except if we're in a state of iman, we're doing a'mal al-salih, 
or we're helping one another. This is also showing you this another proof. You can't do it alone. Watawaso <laughs> mutually supporting, helping, reminding one another on haq and on sabr. Everything else is a loss. Everything else is a loss. So that Allah Ta'ala is trying to create a feeling in us. A feeling in us. You know, that's why these CEOs, they used to keep that hourglass on their desk. And they would turn it. They were, they, because for the sake of dunya, for the sake of their profit margin, for the sake of their productivity, efficiency, all that, you'd be amazed the type of time management courses they have out there. It's all for dunya. <laughs> They're trying to avoid this khusr, but in the money sense, in the monetary sense. Hmm? Trying to maximize, 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 maximize. It's a jeeb world out there. Maximize your productivity. Maximize your efficiency. Maximize your time. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? We're We're supposed to be maximizing our akhirah. And we're just sitting around lazy. Hmm? Even the athlete, who all oh, what's their greatest, what's the biggest thing they can get? Gold medal in the Olympics after four years. They say, fine, give me the chance. I'll dedicate my whole four years. They watch what they eat. For four years, they won't eat certain things for the sake of that gold medal. For four years, they have a strict sleeping routine for the sake of that gold medal. For four years, they put themselves through strenuous physical training for the sake of that gold medal. This, many things of their life they put on hold or they give it second priority for the sake of that gold medal. And we want the gold medal of Jannatul Firdos. Hmm? And we're not willing to put in the training. <laughs> The people who make mujahada. Many meanings of this verse. But khair, they strive for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. They do juhud. They struggle for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. They reach, they push themselves. We have pushed ourselves for the dunya. We haven't pushed ourselves for deen. So this is what our message was. We want you to excel in this world. We're very happy that you're at the university. We want you to excel in deen also. Put in your best effort. See what happens. We haven't put in our effort. You haven't given it your best shot. Give it your best. You'd be amazed. This iman that Allah has put is an amazing thing. It's a super engine. We are driving very slowly. <laughs> yes, sometimes we tell the men, they like their, what is it, five 5.0 liter turbocharged huh, car. The actual has given you a 5.0 liter turbocharged engine is called Iman. <laughs> but you're driving it <laughs> very slowly. <laughs> you don't realize. You don't realize the kuwa, the strength and power of this Iman. If you start using it, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. And you know, it will. I don't want you to do it for this reason, but I will tell you anyway, it will give you a lot of barak in your studies also. <laughs> yes. Taqwa and Iman. And haya, lowering your gaze, will increase your intelligence, will increase your memory, if you have these things. And lack of taqwa, lack of haya, inability to lower your gaze, will reduce your intelligence, will reduce your memory, will increase your laziness, because then we become creatures of the nafs. Inna nafsala ammaratun bisu'i. Then the nafs becomes ammar, becomes our commander. It becomes our general. It becomes our king. The person becomes slave to their nafs. That's a terrible life to live. Such a terrible life. Allah Ta'ala says, Afara'ayta? Aren't you stunned? Afara'ayta min ittakhada ilahu hu hawa? Don't you gaze in amazement at that person who has taken... What's hawa? Hawa is just the whisperings of the nafs. It means they're such a slave to their nafs. 
It's not that the nafs has to amar, has to command them. Just hawa, just slight, little desire, whims we call it. Just the whims of their nafs, they are slave to that, they've made the whims of their nafs their God. We don't want to end up like that. So fight your nafs, work hard. Just like you work hard, discipline yourself for the dunya, you will have to work hard, discipline yourself, be motivated for deen. Inshallah, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can send His mercy on us, send His rahmah on us, send His hidayah on us, make all of us from muttaqeen, make all of us from the salihin. Wa akhir da'wana, an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.